The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome to Trip Talk once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you with us. Today, we are going to talk with a lady who sports a famous name to road trippers all over North America, but particularly in the southern region and in the southwest. I'm talking about Stephanie Stuckey. There's the name, Stuckey's. We all know Stuckey's. And we're delighted to have with us today Stephanie Stuckey, the CEO and president of Stuckey's Corporation. She succeeds her father, Billy Stuckey, in that role, who remains as chairman of the board and a trusted advisor. Stephanie holds a bachelor's degree and law degree from the University of Georgia. She practiced law and served seven terms in the Georgia legislature. She was named in 2018 as one of the 100 most influential Georgians by Georgia Trend Magazine, and her legal expertise was recognized in 2011 when she was given the Outstanding Lawyer in Public Service Award by the Atlanta Bar Association. Stuckey's, founded in 1937 by Stephanie's grandfather, W.S. Sylvester Stuckey Sr. Stuckey's began as a modest stand along Highway 23 in Eastman, Georgia, one that through grit and determination grew into a roadside empire that served as an oasis for generations of Americans. Many family vacations weren't complete without stopping for kitschy souvenirs and pecan log rolls underneath the Stuckey's unmistakable teal sloped roof. So we're going to travel to yesteryear, find out about today and look ahead to tomorrow with Stephanie Stuckey. Stephanie, we're delighted to have you with us today. Delight to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure, and it's going to take a lot of us back. I can remember seeing Stuckey's. Now, I was way out west. I grew up in Southern California, and I can recall my parents driving us to various places. We might start out in Orange County and wind up in Yosemite, or we would head out to Las Vegas when I got old enough, and we would make the trip out there, and lo and behold, out in the Mojave Desert, there was Stuckey's, and in various places as well. Now, never more so than in the Southern United States, it's amazing that Stuckey's continues despite various iterations, generations of leadership, the highs, the lows. And now here you are as of November, if I have it correct, you as the new CEO. Congratulations. Thank you. Why don't we get started talking about how Stuckey's became what it is, how it became famous and the legend of W.S. Stuckey Sr. there in Eastman, Georgia. Happy to. So the... Shane was founded by my grandfather. We called him Stucky. I actually called him Big Daddy, but most people who knew him referred to him as Stucky or Sylvester. And it got started with a $35 loan from his grandmother and a borrowed Model A Ford truck. My grandfather had dropped out of college during the Depression and was working all sorts of odd jobs. And someone suggested to him, why don't you sell pecans? Our Family had a small pecan orchard, which is still in the family to this day. And Big Daddy started selling pecans. And he had so little money that he would buy pecans late in the day uh, because he had to buy from beyond our orchard. He would pay for them by check right as the bank was closing. And then he would go sell his pecans right away so he could get to the bank early in the next morning to cover the checks. So money was tight, he was very thrifty, he worked hard, and 
he did well enough that he could open his first stand, which was in 1931. And he sold pecans, cane juice, syrup, and homemade quilts. And then one day he had the brainstorm to get my grandmother to make candy. And he, he was one of these people, if he had an idea, he would just jump on it. So he ran from the stand and interrupted my grandmother's bridge game and said, you need to go start making candy right away. I got this great idea. And she didn't know how to make candy, but she got her two sisters to help her. And they made pecan log rolls, which were famous for divinity, pralines, and all the other candy treats that Stuckey's is known for. Started selling those, and everything sort of took off from there. That stand, six years later in 1937, grew to our very first store, which was in Eastman, Georgia, on the Hawkinsville Highway. I'm taking all of this backstory <laughs> in, Stephanie. It's amazing to me. A $35 loan, a borrowed Model A Ford truck, and money so tight that your grandfather would make his purchases late in the day, paying for them by check, and then have to hustle to get to the bank early in the morning after judiciously counting the receipts of the day before to cover the checks. That is a quintessential Depression-era story that you are telling me money was tight and people relied on brains and luck to get by during those very difficult times. Yeah, he was so frugal that that very first shack before he opened the store when he opened his store, he sold that shack to a local farmer and it became a chicken coop. So when people wanted to photograph the original stand, they had to recreate it because it had actually become a chicken coop. <laughs> so in 1937, the stand yeah. was doing well enough to permit the opening of a first Stucky store and thus the founding of the enterprise. And that store grossed between, now let's see if I recall, between $25,000 and $30,000 that first year. Yeah, that was uh, that was good money back in 1937. Oh, man. In 1937, I mean, people were struggling. I used to hear because I grew up the son of Depression era parents myself. I'm a boomer. And they used to tell me you'd have people on the street corners of where they grew up in Pennsylvania. You could have two apples for a nickel. The problem was you couldn't spare the nickel. Exactly. And Time so for this, to, it, they were tough and also, your grandfather, it's said of him that he had, as I'm using your term here as I'm looking at my materials, getting ready for the show, he always had a side hustle. It could be the yeah. furniture business, hotels, Dodge Plymouth dealership, saw, he sold railroad cross ties, owned a black nightclub. This is fascinating in Georgia in the 1930s. Yeah, you know, he was a fascinating man. And talking about race relations, owning the black nightclub, it was really interesting that he was incredibly... Uh, open-minded, especially for that time in the, the segregated South. And Stuckey's, as it grew, was one of the few roadside stores where people of all races could stop and use the facilities, buy food. And in fact, we were in the movie, The Green Book, because we were actually in The Green Book, which is the roadside guide used by African-Americans during that era before desegregation. And it would tell them where they could stop and stop safely. So I'm very proud of that aspect of our, our company's history that people don't know and don't talk a lot about. And my grandfather was just, he did things quietly and wasn't doing it for recognition. Although he definitely was a salesperson for Stuckey's and was always out there hustling for the stores. But as far as like the good deeds he did, he was a very modest man. I saw the movie Green Book, and you should be proud. It's wonderful because people who didn't live through that 
find it hard to understand that there could be such tensions and such an in underlying hostility. And these were folks who were trying to get from point A to point B and stopping along the way. And Stuckey's offered that Southern hospitality of which you are justly proud. Yep. When it came to providing things, that's one thing about your grandfather. He had the reputation of always being a salesperson. I can't even imagine how much free candy he gave out. Families are coming through and he wanted to entice them in like a good businessman. He always had candy on him. I I knew him. I was 12 years old when he died. And I remember just bowls of candy in his house and would constantly hand out not just candy, but souvenirs and product to get people to go to the stores. For example, one of the ways he got a lot of traffic to the stores was he would give bus drivers. Back in the day, Greyhound was a lot more popular than it is today. And many people traveled the roads by Greyhound and other bus services, tour buses, and he would give the bus drivers candy. And this was also during uh, some of the rationing periods so during World War II. He would give them cigarettes, shotgun cells, shells, shoe stamps, meat stamps, you know, back when there was rationing stamps to get them to stop at the stores. That That's makes perfect sense. He was just, he was a hustler. Yes, he was in the best sense. <laughs> in the very best sense. I mean, he had grit. He was undeterred. He had stores burned down. He survived World War II rationing. He survived sugar rationing. And he just kept on going. And it's it's a lesson that has value even today. That is a very good framework, Stephanie, for appreciating the success story that Stuckey's is. When you think about following December 7, 1941, now America is in the war. That led to war rationing. And the formula, the challenging formula, is, is your grandfather realized what was going on and what that what kind of impact it would have on his enterprise. You were talking about no sugar, no gas, no tires. That leads to no tourists, and yet the stores were there. He had one, and then he had a second one, and he certainly had bigger plans. Every store made its own candy and needed the sugar. I would love for you to tell the story, and I sure hope these guys got caught. <laughs> Stuckey's was the victim of bootleggers who broke into the Folkestone, Georgia store, stole the sugar, and set the store on fire? Yeah, and he was down to two stores. So he had three stores when the war when the, you know, when, when Pearl Harbor happened. And so he was down to two stores. And so then he just became very resourceful. He started selling to the troops because if you sold to the troops, then you would get access to sugar. And so he was able to survive that way. And again, he was willing to do whatever he needed to do to keep his business afloat. And at one point, he got sugar, unbeknownst to him, but it was from the mafia in Florida. And after he got, and I'm sure it came from Cuba. And a couple weeks later, the FBI knocked on his door in Eastman, Georgia, and he told them everything and said, I'm just a candy man. And so fortunately, they let him go. And he didn't do that again. But that just shows he was willing to do what he needed to do to to survive. And so he did survive and flourish. Now, of course, there was a post-war economic boom. And your grandfather and your father decided to capitalize on the upswing in the economy after so many years of want. 
There was a sweetheart deal with Texaco. Travel was at an all-time high in the 1940s and 1950s. And especially, and this, this leads me to ask you in particular about how these locations were spotted, because it's one thing to have access to Route 66, and many of our listeners are quite familiar with it. There's a love affair between American Road readers and listeners and Route 66, various uh, old highways prior to the Eisenhower interstate system. But once they built the interstate, how did Stuckey's pivot in order to take advantage of this expanding highway system across North America? He started building stores on the interstate highway and he always advertised with billboards and he invested heavily in billboards. He used to joke that he had more inventory in billboards than he did in candy. And was that true? I mean, with the investment itself, uh, I don't know what they cost back then, but you would have to strategically decide that you're going to spend a lot of money and hope to pull people in because the billboards do what you can't do, just shaking hands with everybody. Exactly. And he, he very much believed in advertising. It was strategic advertising. He did some print ads, and I love seeing old print ads for Stuckey's. I've got some of those in our personal archives, and a lot of them are available on eBay, and you can see them on Pinterest. But he really invested in billboards, and you know, like the advertising saying goes, it's about the sizzle as much as it is about the steak. But one of the stories that is often told about my grandfather, and I wish I had asked him to make sure it's true, but I've heard it enough from family members that I believe it's accuracy, is how he decided where to locate the stores to really maximize getting traffic. And that is he would get in his car and get a cup of coffee and drink the coffee. And when he needed to pull over and use the facilities, that's where he would site his next door. So he spaced them apart by however long it would take to need to use the facilities. I don't know how scientific that was, but that was definitely some market field research. That was no doubt about it, Stephanie. That's pit stop prospecting. Right? And I mean, that, just, that just reinforces his approach. He was in the stores. He knew the managers. It was always couples, husband and wife teams that owned the store and lived in the back of the store. So if you go to some of those old stores, you can actually see where they had the living quarters. And in fact, I visited one of our stores in Missouri that's right adjacent to the old Route 66 and asked to see the living quarters and they turned it into a video poker and a bar room, but it was profitable. So it's interesting to see how those uh, old living quarters have been repurposed. And along those lines, Stephanie, newly minted CEO that you are, in terms of envisioning the future, you can look back at the past as any entrepreneur would do. My understanding of Stuckey's is that it was not intended to be just a stop, not just a pit stop and you grab some candy or a cup of coffee. It was meant to be an experience in and of itself. And yet Stuckey's at the corporate level, Stuckey's didn't want to have a sit down service. Right. So, so my grandfather always wanted people to buy souvenirs and buy candy and buy pecans. And the pecan is very much at the center of Stuckey's. We started on a pecan orchard. So we have always sold pecans, either shelled or flavored. And pecans are in most of our candy products. And then, of course, we had these wonderful kitschy souvenirs like the Mexican jumping beans and the dunking bird and ashtrays in the shape of the state. All those fun, kitschy Americana classic vintage gifts that you would see. So he didn't want people sitting 
in a full service restaurant, he would have more of a snack bar with very limited seating. And he wanted people up and about walking around his stores and spending their money. And it was your dad, Bill Stuckey, who added the Stuckey's Express, a store within a store model. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a bit of a dark period for Stuckey's in between my father taking over and my grandfather retiring. He, my grandfather sold the stores to Pet Dairy Corporation, which in turn got bought out by a Chicago conglomerate called IC Industries. And it was almost 20 years that the stores were out of family hands. And it was, it was a rough period for the stores. We lost hundreds of stores. So when people reach out to me and say how heartbroken they are to drive by an old store and see that it's been converted to a video store, or I've even heard stories of old Stuckey's being porn shops, which just breaks my heart that it's no longer what it once was. But that happened during that dark period. So that was between 1977. Uh, well, my grandfather died in 1977. He sold in 1964. So between 1964 and then the mid 80s, it was out of family hands. And my father got the company back. In the meantime, my father had started a very successful company, Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation. And he had the franchise rights to Dairy Queens on the interstate highway system in the US. So this complemented nicely the business he was already running. And then he started the Stuckey's Express where he would put Stuckey's in existing travel plazas. So you'd see a section of the travel plaza, like a truck stop that would be dedicated to Stuckey's merchandise and candy and other products. I love it for the continuity. That makes great sense to me. Currently, there are 16 standalone stores almost 70 express locations, and about 150 retailers that carry Stuckey's products. Here you are since November of 2019, you're the CEO, it's the family business once again, and stronger than ever in terms of the business model, if not number of locations. Looking to the future, Stephanie, what are you going to do in order to be as hands-on as your time will allow in promoting Stuckey's well into the 21st century? Well, I'm. before I tell you one of my big plans, I do want to also add we are on the cyber highway. We've always prided ourselves on catering to the traveling public, but we recognize the realities of how consumers shop today. And so we are also available on our website, www.stuckies.com. You can buy so many of our wonderful products on our website, and you can also purchase some limited Stuckies candy items on Amazon. So we're happy to be, uh, be part of the e-commerce revolution as well. But I think what's really special about Stuckey's in the age of so many brick and mortar retail operations closing is that on the interstate, people still need to pull over. You can't get up on Amazon and order up a restroom break and you can't order up a snack and you can't order up filling up your car with gas or charging your electric vehicle. So the roadside stand or the roadside stops remain one of, in my opinion, the last bastions of having this unique and what can be a special retail experience and not just going to something that's a quickie stop, but something that's really special. That's what we're trying to create. So in my new role, what I want to do is be like my grandfather and like my father and really know the stores. So I will be undertaking a tour of all our locations, the Express and the standalone. So it's 
about 90 plus stores and we'll be visiting every single one of them this year. I've already seen about 24 and there's nothing like being boots on the ground, seeing the stores, meeting the managers, talking to the customers and really understanding what drives sales and what makes the Stuckey's experience special and different and unique. I wanted to be more specific, Stephanie, in reference to where your stores are located. If you have so many stores now and predominantly in the South, what's the range and do you intend to expand it? Oh, absolutely, we're expanding. We're adding two new standalone stores in Oklahoma this year. We're looking at another location in Georgia. We're negotiating the lease, so to be announced hopefully soon. As far as the range, we're in Florida, we go as far south as Yeehaw Junction. I love the names of some of these towns. <laughs> yes. Texas, we, uh, we're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and Cuba, Alabama, and Mattsville, Virginia, and Somerton, South Carolina. So uh, Doolittle, Missouri, all these wonderful small towns across America. But we're also at the nexus where people from the big city, if they pull over, they can get a little taste of that small town if they go to a Stuckey's because we're going to offer stuff that's unique and special. It's not your everyday truck stop. But no, by no means. North is, you know, I'll be going Maxville, Virginia is pretty far north. And some of the Indiana locations are far north. And then as far west as our locations in Texas. So I'll be, I'll be on the road for several weeks. I'm looking at uh, hopefully getting a RV company to sponsor me and giving me some transportation that'll make it fun. Good idea. I love that. And in that way, and others, no doubt, you support heritage tourism. American Road, that's where we live. Supporting heritage tourism, which has the goal of preserving America's roadside cultural landmarks. Not everybody wants to fly from point A to point B. It's quicker, but... These days, it just seems like it's too much of a hassle, especially for people who have the means and the time to get in the car and drive to all the places they want to see before their ultimate destination. That's got to be music to your ears. Absolutely. And we are committed to promoting other attractions on the interstate highway system. I grew up stopping at South of the Border. I love Sea Rock City and all these wigwam village in Arizona. I You haven't lived till you've slept in a teepee in Wigwam Village and Tiki Garden and all these wonderful, classic, historic roadside locations. And so we are also about promoting heritage tourism. We're working with other organizations and other individuals who are also promoting that. Uh, we're working with Vintage Roadside, if you're familiar with them, that is designing t-shirts for us. I had a wonderful conversation with Charles Phoenix, who is such a strong advocate for Americana and special places and just figuring out ways that we can promote each other in our shared passion and love for these special places on America's highway system. And that creates a far-flung community. It's really kind of a confraternity of people who are dedicated to preserving the past, but with all of the contemporary touches so that it becomes convenient for people to experience nostalgia or to see something for the first time that were it not for your efforts and those of your fellows wouldn't even exist anymore. It would just be in the history books. Right, and I am acutely aware that there's only one Howard Johnson's restaurant left 
in America that you can't find those old Shoney's big boys with the classic statue that these wonderful places that we knew growing up are are becoming re roadside relics. So I feel a personal obligation to do everything I can, not just for my family, but I feel like it's part of the American DNA to preserve Stuckey's. There's, there were 17 of these stores last year and one burned down. So I'm trying wow. to get that one rebuilt. But we got to keep these stores alive because it is part of who we are in America, getting in the car and hitting the road. That's something so many of us can connect with, and it connects us with a new generation of people. Absolutely. I've met so many people in their 20s and 30s who just love retro, vintage, hip, cool brands that yes. were never around when they were kids. I can see people with a Burma shaved t-shirt or a Piggly Wiggly t-shirt, and they never shopped at those places or saw those billboards, but they love that nostalgic vibe. And so we're tapping into that with a younger generation as well. I'm so glad you are, Stephanie. As you're on your road trip, we'll touch base with you and see how it's going. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com. Until next week, drive safely and dream well. <laughs>